listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. as we begin our series, Salt and Light. What does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to be a Christian? Is it that we put God away when we feel convenient and we bring Him out when it's convenient? What does our Christian life really look like? Romans 12 verse 1 says, And therefore, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I plead with you. How many would agree with me today? That's pretty strong application right there. Come on, I mean, that's pretty strong right there. He's not just saying, I'm asking you something. He's not just saying, come on, I want to show you something. He is pleading with them. I think if I'm going to plead something to someone, my point must be pretty important. If I'm going to say, please, I plead with you, listen to me. There's an important reason for why I am doing that. And it is important. You know why? Because it involves what we look like. As a Christian, this is why it's important. This is why he's pleading, because it's important what we look like as a Christian. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice. So many people's Christian experience is totally the opposite to that. So many people's Christian experience is pretty much dead And unholy, come on, I'm going to keep speaking until I get some response in the house. It's dead and unholy, and that's the nice way to put it. Come on, you're not living it. You're not being a holy witness and a testimony. You're dead, and what comes out of your mouth and your thoughts and your mind is so unholy many, many times. And it says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, a living and holy sacrifice the kind that he will accept. Come on, stay with me today. So if it's the kind that he'll accept, there must be a kind that he does not accept. This is why he's pleading, because there must be a problem here as well as a solution here that we need to be aware of in our lives. And then it goes on to say, when you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? You've got to understand something about Paul here. When he's writing this, he's not putting people on a guilt trip. Has anyone ever used that tactic before? Put someone on a guilt trip. Come on right now. Man, everything I've done for you. Come on now. You know you've all used that. Everything you mean after all that I've done. I gave you this and I did this and you are... We've probably all been on both sides of that equation. Come on, we've dealt it and we've received that guilt trip. Paul is not trying to guilt us into doing something. In fact, the Word of God nowhere tries to guilt us into doing something. Why? Because to be guilted into something means there's no sincerity in our hearts. 
We're just doing it because... He's not trying to guilt us, but He's trying to show us. And He's generally reminding them of everything that Christ has done. And we need to be reminded, I think, constantly of that. You know what Christ did for us? He gave everything. He gave His whole life as He hung upon a cross. And He willfully made the decision and the choice to die on our behalf, taken the sin and taken everything that was our penalty to pay. And he took that upon himself. That's a whole lot that he did. I said, that's a whole lot that he did for me when I certainly didn't deserve that. And it goes on to say in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Yet that's what we've become. Yet that's what we've become too much. But let God transform you into a new person. Say with me, new person. person. That's good. Come on, that's good. Anyone agree with me? That's good. A new person. Some of you thinking right now, I hope my spouse is listening to this. But you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, I hope my spouse is listening to this. Because we need to be transformed to be the new person that Christ wants us to be. And how does he... Places. How does he change us? How does he transform us? By the way we think. By the way we think. As a man thinks in his heart. So really, our thinking should be that as a direct result of our heart. So how does God change us? Through our hearts. As we repent, as we surrender and give it to him. Then you will know. You see, sometimes I think we rush through the scriptures. Then you'll know the perfect will of God in your life. Blah, blah, blah. We rush through it. But I want to stop for a minute and ask myself, what is it that I will know? Well, the Bible tells me, he says, what God wants you to do. So think about this. He's pleading with me to give my life to Christ. To be changed and have a heart change that I'm now a new person. And the result of this is what? I will now know what I need to do with my life. I wonder how many people today don't really know what to do with their life because they truly haven't really given their life to the one who knows. I believe that's what's been said here today. Could it be that we don't know what to do with our lives because we don't truly know God? Oh, we can confess we know God. We say we do. But for most of us, you know what? Best we are a Christian atheist. What is that, Pastor? That we say we believe in God, but we live as though He doesn't exist. We have Him in a box, and when it's convenient, we bring Him out. But when it's not, we just put the lid on and tuck it away. We say we believe, we say we're a Christian, a Christ follower. But yet we don't know what we need to do and where we need to be because we don't really know God. And when He transforms us and changes us, here's what the Bible says. We will know what is right for us to do. We will know what God expects from us. And I know that's not perfection. How many are glad that God doesn't expect perfection from your life? Because if it was perfection, by the time you woke up this morning, you already blew that. Come on, by the time you got in your car and what you said to your wife or your kids on the way here, you already blew perfection a long time ago. God's not requiring perfection. God knows we're not always going to hit the mark. 
But God wants you and I to be totally and completely engaged in a process that will make us more Christ-like each and every day. I need to be more Christ-like. I need to know and be led in that way. And read on. Then knowing what we do, guess what will happen? Then we will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. Say with me, His way. We'll know His way. We'll know the way that we need to live and how satisfying and real living a Christ, a life for Christ really is. Oh, it's old-fashioned. No, it's completely up-to-date. It's still the greatest way. You know, I've had so many conversations with people who have stepped away from church. And people who are like, man, where have you been? Like, you're kind of going through a lot right now. Well, you know, you don't need to be going through a lot away from church. You need to be going through a lot in church because then God can take that lot and he can heal it and he can take care of it. Give it to God. Be around other people. But I've been around a lot of people and had a conversation with, you know, what's going on? And and their life, they're out of church, they're not reading the word. They're just, they're not living an actively engaged spiritual life. And I always, always is a big word, 95% of the time, I follow up that thought with this question. When was the happiest times of your life? When was the times of greatest joy that you were experiencing in your life? And I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating with this. A hundred percent of the time, every one of them, the answer is the same. When I was in church, when I was living for God, and when my life was where it needed to be. Why? Because it's truth. It's true. It's the truth of God. Why? Because He is real. He is totally real. And what God wants to be in each and every one of our lives is real. 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 God's not into the counterfeit stuff. We want to counterfeit our Christianity. We want to try and fabricate it and make it. But the truth is this. We know when we're at the happiest. We know when our life is at the greatest peace. And it's when we're in the greatest place with God. And we're where we need to be. You want to know how you can tell a counterfeit from something that's real wrong? Come on, a lot of ladies have counterfeit purses. I'm I'm just calling you out in church today. (laughs) A lot of ladies like those counterfeit purses. You know, they like what it looks like and everything's good. I mean, some of you are like tucking it under the chair right now. And you're like, man, he's just ragging on my purse. Why don't you go to that church anymore? Because my pastor ragged on my purse. I mean, you better have a better reason than that to leave the church today. Turn to your neighbor and say, I like your purse, even though it's fake. Amen? Amen? That's good. That's good. That's good. But you know how you want to tell if something's counterfeit? Are you ready? You just got to look a little bit closer. You just got to pull it up a little bit closer. And the best way is this. You look on the inside. Because people put a lot of effort to impress you on the outside. But when you look on the inside, you can tell if it's real or not. So many people are acting good on the outside. But come on, let's get on the inside today. Come on, this month we want to get on the inside of who you are. And just take down the mask of, praise God, my hands are in the air and I'm waving them just like I don't care. I put my tithe in the offering. But come on, we want to look on the inside because the inside will determine whether you're a fake or whether you're the real deal. 
And how do we know that? Let me give you some scripture just in case you don't like that. I want to back up your fake purse by the word of God. Are you ready? First Samuel, the prophet, is about to anoint the next king of Israel. And what would you do when you're anointing the king? You would look for the best. You would look for the biggest and you would look for the baddest. Why? Because you want someone to represent who we are. And I've got to be honest, looking at the presidential candidacies and different people, I've almost looked at some of those people and said, just by the looks and just their stature and how they are, I don't know if that's someone who's strong enough to represent our nation. You can just tell by looking at people and that's what's going through Saul's mind or Samuel's mind as he's finding a replacement. He's like looking and saying, who's going to be strong enough? Who's going to be the one that people are going to want to willingly give their lives for? And all of a sudden in Jesse's house, he sees Eliab. He's big and he's bad. He's hairy. He's muscular. He's just got it all going on. And if you're struggling to picture him right here, there you go. (laughs) Big and bad. He's got it going on. Maybe the hairy part's a little bit gone, but there we go. We got it. But he's big and bad. And Samuel says, why look any further? That's got to be the one. But God says, I'm not interested in the outside of the purse. God says, I'm not interested in the outside appearance of what you may think looks good and what you may think is impressing other people. Because the Bible says, you can impress other people and deceive yourself. And the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, here's an object lesson to Samuel. Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature. Not mean that those things aren't good and those things aren't important because they are. But there's still something greater, of greater importance. For I have refused him. That's strong words there because literally what God was saying is he's rejected. I've rejected him. He's been rejected for the Lord, for God does not see as man sees. For man gets so caught up with the outward. For man, it's outward in. Come on, if you're looking for a spouse, ladies, I want to help you right now. Come on, don't worry about the outward. That's important, but that's going to change anyway. Come on, things are going to sag and things are going to change. Come on now. Come on, hair's going to grow where it shouldn't grow. Things are going to change. We're talking about the men, ladies, now, just to clear that up. But, you know, things are going to change. So what do you got to do? you got to look at the inside because that's where true life comes from. But man wants to look at the outside in where God says, I don't look like that because the Lord looks where? He looks at the heart. Say with me, the heart. God's interested in what's inside. Because, you see, when God can change what's inside, the outside is going to take care of itself. Come on, the outside is going to take care of itself. Because when God changes the heart, everything changes. Everything changes. And that's what we're going to be talking about this month. We want God to examine our hearts. We want to look at our hearts today and that which is inside each one of us and truly ask ourselves the question, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What should my heart be like? What should my life be like? Am I just wearing a badge that I'm a Christian? How do I need to take God out of the box in my life and lose the convenient status? Because I want to tell you something right now. In God's Word, it doesn't talk about convenience. It talks about consistency. It talks about being constant. 
doesn't talk about when it's convenient to you to live for him. He talks about that we need to constantly live for him. That we need to each day, wherever we're at, at work, in whatever company, we need to be the same person and not a chameleon that's changing in the atmosphere that we're in. Come on, we've got too many thermostat, not thermometer Christians. What does a thermometer do? Changes by the temperature it's subjected to. Come on, we've got too many thermometer Christians that they're cold over here and then they're hot over here. Oh, watch out, move away from your neighbor. They may be burning up in church. We need some thermostats that set the temperature of where they're at. That when they walk into their work, they're still as hot as what they were in church. Come on, when they walk into their houses, they're still as hot as what they were before. Not obnoxious, not crazy, not weird. Just having a heart that's living for God. And a heart that's given to God. Because what did we read in Romans 12 verse 1? God says, I want you to be a living and a holy sacrifice. The kind which I will accept. The kind that I will accept. And really the thought is this, the kind that he expects and the kind that he requires from us. You see, here's a great statement for you already. You may not like it. Salvation is not on your terms, but salvation is on His terms. Come on, salvation is not on, is on His terms and not on your terms. You don't determine how your salvation looks because the last time I checked, your name's not on the book. Come on, you didn't write this book. He wrote the book. And as a result of him writing the book, he knows what is needed in each and every one of our lives. I'm reminded of a story, and you've maybe heard this before, but it's a great story of a young man, just a little boy who was coming home from church with his family and his mum and dad in the car, and they'd just been at church. And they were talking in kids' club about being a Christian, and really what it meant to be a Christian and to live for God, and little boy was a little bit confused because he didn't really understand it. So he's talking to his dad on the way home and he says, Dad, I'm kind of a little bit confused. And dad says, well, what son? What's confusing? He said, well, they were talking, our Sunday school teacher, they were talking so much today about what does it mean to be a Christian? He says, Dad, what is that? What is a Christian? And the dad begins to just go down the list and he begins to say, well, a Christian is someone who goes to church. A Christian is someone who loves God. A Christian is someone who treats other people right. and Someone who follows God's word and really prays and reads God's word. Someone who's honest and someone who's trustworthy. And the son is processing all this thing in his little mind. And he asks himself, or he asks his father this question. Dad, have I ever met one of those? Have I ever met one of those? Leave in church, in church each and every week. But when the criteria was listed of what a Christian should be, a child says, Dad, have I ever met one of those? Do I know one of those? Maybe today you need to just say ouch or something to that. Because it's pretty sober in fact. And this is a major issue I believe that we're faced with today. A major issue that we must address and change in our lives. Because you need to ask yourself today, am I one of those? Am I a true Christ follower? 
Am I truly serving God? Because how was our lives created? I think it's important to understand how we were created. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I somehow feel that God doesn't look and act like most of us. I don't think God would respond to the situations like most of us do, myself included. I don't think God would conduct himself as we do on social media. But yet, how were we created to be in his image, to show forth his likeness, to be the representation of who he is to the entirety of the world who doesn't know him? But yet God's called us to represent him. And the last time I checked, he hasn't changed who he is. So if someone's changed in this image thing and in this likeness thing, I've got to take responsibility for my life. We've got to take responsibility for our lives. Again, if you... This is really just an introduction today for this message because there's so much to cover, but it's just so, so important. Salt and light. Say with me, salt and light. What does it mean to be a Christian? Turn to Matthew chapter 5. I would, I would say one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. I, I love it. There's so many great truths in God's word, but I just really like the style and how Matthew writes it. And Matthew chapter 5, we see it's called the Beatitudes. If you've got a Bible, it's probably titled the Beatitudes. What are they? They are attitudes that need to be in your life. Come on now. That's what Beatitudes are. They are things that need to be present in your life. And Jesus goes through all of those. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is not weakness. It's controlled strength. And he goes through all of those kind of things. And then he says in verse 13, Matthew 5 verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. In other words, Jesus says, This is what I've called you to be. Do you see that? He says, this is what I've called you as Christians, as my followers. This is what I've called you to be. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Living in Louisiana, we know all about salt and seasoning. Come on, anyone like some Tonys in the house? Come on, slap your mama. Don't slap her, I mean the sauce. Come on now, and the seasoning. Just all those sauces and the seasons and all. That's an important addition with incredible edible results. Come on, it changes the whole flavor of something, how it tastes. Without it, it's so bland. There's a reason why we've got the best cooking in America. It's not really what we're cooking, it's what we're adding to it. I remember being somewhere and they cooked crawfish and I was so excited to eat them until I realized they just boiled them in water. (laughs) Disgusting. My plate was full. It was all you could eat, man. I thought I'd hit the cha-cha-ching jackpot. Come on, all you could eat, crawfish for like 15 bucks, man. You're not going to get your money's worth out of me. And then all of a sudden I took one bite and I'm like... (laughs) Was very disappointed. And it could have been changed by just a little bit 
of the right seasoning. I remember that story. I was like complaining to someone the next day, man, I can't believe it, man. They don't know how to cook stuff. The guy says, why don't you tell that lady over there? I said, man, we went to this really nice restaurant. We paid like 15 bucks. It was like all you could eat. And the food was disgusting. They didn't know how to cook it. She says, really? She says, well, tell me how, well, you need to get this. She goes, good. I'll let the chef know. She says, true story. She says, I own the restaurant. It wasn't really that bad. Now, come on. <laughs> the right seasoning, the right flavor changes everything. So what are we called to as Christians? We're called to flavor the world around us. Come on, we're called to add a bit of zest and a bit of life and a bit of oomph. Come on, this church should be the, the saltiest church there is. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about having great flavor that people want to be around us. They want to come. Why? Because, man, they just feel good when they come in. Man, I like that church. There's some good eating in that church. That's good. And that's what God's called us to be. But, you know, we can talk about flavor. But really, when you look at the New Testament, and really in the Old Testament, the Bible itself, predominantly in the Old Testament, you see that salt was used as a purifying, a purifying agent. That was its purpose, to preserve too, but it was to purify. So really what Jesus is saying is, yes, we're to be the flavor, but even more than that, he says, as the salt of the earth, we are to purify a corrupt world through our example of righteous living and the gospel that we proclaim. That we're to bring purification by the way we live, the righteousness of our life. That's just really right living. Don't super spiritualize it. It's living right by the word of God and the gospel that we are to proclaim. But the verse doesn't stop there, does it? It goes on to say, but when the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. What do we see? Contaminated salt does not promote purity. The verb translated loses its flavor indicates that foolish and immoral behavior on our behalf. It refers to professing a professing disciple or follower of God whose unrighteous lifestyle promotes destruction rather than purification. Someone who says I'm a Christian but yet the destructive rather than constructive Life that we live doesn't bring purification in any way. You know, probably one of the main reasons people don't come to church, we just read of right there, because of contaminated salt, because of Christians who live unrighteous and unholy. Because I'm telling you, if you go out there and check, the last time I checked, the number one reason why people don't come to church, look around you, is because of us. People who go to church. People who call themselves a Christian. People who act like they're a Christian, but they're condemning everyone else because of the hypocrisy that there so often is in each one of our lives. Is everyone okay today? But it goes on to say, and it says, such contaminated salt is good for nothing, it said, except to be trampled underfoot. Here's the thought. It is good for nothing except to spread over the ground. For what reason? To kill anything and everything that has any chance of growing. That when salt is put out on the ground, it will kill all 
vegetation. And that, unfortunately, is the effect that an unrighteous disciple of Christ has on all those around. Nothing will grow where they go. But all they'll bring is death. And so what is done with such contaminated, destroying salt? The Bible says it is thrown out, disposed of of something that is worthless and it is trampled under filth. That's the thought that God has when we choose not to live for Him. That we're worthless. And please understand this, everyone is worth something to God. But what I'm talking about, we're worthless in the use for God and the promotion for the kingdom of God. We're still a life that matters, but our life is not mattering now to other people, but our life is destroying other people as the result of the wrong decisions that we make in our life. Say with me, not good, and definitely not God. We want to be the salt God's called us. We want to be the preservation. We want to be the purification. We want to make this world. This world should be a better place because we're here. But it's not just salt, it's light. Look what it says in Matthew 5 verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He's not talking about two things here. He says you're a light and then you're a city. What's going on? Here's what I believe. He's talking about the same thing, but he's representing what our light should be. Because you're called to be the light, but you're a city that's set on a hill. What do we know about a city? A city that is there today is going to be a city that's there tomorrow. A city doesn't just vanish and change and go. So I believe he's showing us that we're to be light, but then he's indicating to us how our light is supposed to be. What does that mean? Constant. That we're here tomorrow and we're here the next day. That's what I believe. He's talking about there should be a consistency, not a convenience, and we get God out of the box. But a consistency and a completeness in our lives. It goes on to say in verse 15, Nor do they light a lamp and they put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to who? Everyone. It gives light to everyone that's around. We're called to be salt and light for what reason? Not only for our salvation, but for the salvation of other people. That people should see and hear, not just hear, but they should see and hear the truth of God in our lives, that we're bringing flavor and purification and hope and light to their lives and illumination and hope into their lives instead of what? Creating darkness. Watch this black it out in here. This is what we're supposed to be. That wherever we go, it can be dark all around, but look, we can be glowing. Come on, we can be glowing. Come on, how many knows the darker the night, the brighter the light can shine? And that's what we're called to be. God says, I want you to be constant, but this is us. Come on, when it gets dark, we just kind of want to blend in. And we just want to do the wrong things and say the wrong things because everyone else is doing it. Oh, but when it's church time, oh, our little light comes back on because then we're in the light and everything. It's off and on. Off and on. Off and on. You're supposed to be a city that's on a hill. Constant. Give us some lights back in the house. We've got to be constant. We've got to be constant. And here's why. Are you ready? If you don't believe me, read verse 16. So let your light so shine. It doesn't say shine. Let your light so shine. You've got to know how to shine is what it's saying. Your light just doesn't shine when you feel like it. It's got to so shine. How? As a city? 
constantly. You've got to shine. So, so how? Before men, let your light shine before everyone around. That they may see your good works. But it's more than just seeing you, isn't it? Come on, I said it's more than just seeing you. It's that they will see God in you. And as a result of seeing God in you, guess what happens? They themselves will glorify your Father in heaven. You know what brings greatest glory to God? A sinner that is saved. What and how do we bring glory to God? Through being a light, constantly shining. Not a God in the box when we feel like it and putting Him away. But constantly shining so we can let the world see. And the results speak for themselves. That people will see your life, your testimony, who you are, and they'll glorify the Father in heaven. Listen to me. What they didn't know before, they will know by the example of your life. That's what you've got to get. If you don't get anything else from this message, ask yourself this. When I'm at work, what do they see? What do they get from my life? Do they get Jesus? And watch how they're getting Jesus because you're not sticking them down their throat. Come on, you're living Jesus to them. You're being that Jesus. You're showing up on time. You're not showing up late because that ain't showing them Jesus. You're not on your cell phone and doing all the emails when you're on the boss's time. That ain't showing them Jesus now. Being late back from work, that's not from lunch, that's not showing them Jesus. It's been true and been honorable. Have I ever met one of those? <laughs> what does it mean to be a Christian? If you ask someone in your work, I wonder if you listed down, I wonder if they'd say, Man, have I ever met one of those? And you've worked with them for maybe eight years, ten years, three years. Have I ever met one of those? Come on, say with me, out of the box. box. Got to take God out of the box. For the next few Sundays, and again, this is just an introduction, but for the next few Sundays, we're going to discover characteristics of Christianity. What we need to have in our lives, we're going to discover these from Romans chapter 12 where we began, but we're going to look at verse 9 through 21. And I encourage you to read that this week. We're going to look at characteristics like love that we should have. We're going to look at characteristics of humility that we should have. There's other characteristics, but I'm not going to give them all to you because then you won't come back. You need to be back to here. But it's pretty interesting that when you look at the book of Romans, the book of Romans is broken into two sections. The first 11 chapters of Romans are really presenting what? What we believe. And then the second 12 through 16, the second part of Romans is how we behave. So we can have the belief and stop there. But how many knows we need the belief, but then we need how to behave. And that's what we're going to talk about, how to believe. Most of us know what we believe. And if not, we've got a class, Christianity 101, right now that's going to help you with a lot of those things. But a lot of us know pretty much and have a good idea of what we believe and what we need to do. But how we do it is the problem that we have. And we're going to address those. But just before I close today, let me just really quickly, and I know time has gone, and I just want to share with you where we get the thought Christian from. Because a lot of times we just throw it out there to be a Christian. Where do we get that from? And show why it's important, I think, to realize that. Look at this really quickly. Acts 11, verse 25 and 26. It says this, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and they taught a great many people. And the disciples, or the followers of God, were first called Christians in Antioch. 
Why Antioch? Because God wanted it to be so. But why really Antioch? I believe the reason it was the Antioch for this reason. Antioch was a melting pot for all the different nations and people of those days. There was a mixture of Jews who either spoke Greek and Aramaic, or there was a whole load of Gentiles, people from all different nations. Antioch was one of those melting pot communities and areas that there was people of all different race, culture, and background. And in the midst of all this difference, there was a common denominator. You know what they found common? Was Christ. Christ was what joined each one of them together. Not race, not a culture, not even a language. And I love that because it's a picture of the church today. That what unites every one of us together. We're like an Antioch. We're a melting pot today. But you know what unites us all together? Christ. 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 So why the name? Why Christian? If you would look at it, and we haven't got time, but if you would look at it, they went through a lot of persecution. They were persecuted everywhere they went. I mean, it wasn't easy to say you were a Christian. You could lose your life for being a Christian. But the Bible says the greater the persecution, the greater the gospel spread. Because they weren't silent. They spoke out louder and more because it was so real to them. These are the people who are being called Christians. They were so committed. What did we just read? For over a year, they faithfully came to hear what the apostles, what Paul And Barnabas would teach them. They didn't just come to church when they felt like it. They were committed each week because they wanted to get what, even if it meant what? Dying. It wasn't just a five minute wonder to them. It was a lifestyle. And there was something about these people through persecution and the faithfulness they had that people began to look at them. And as a result of that, there was something different about them. And so they began to call them or they realized it had to be something to do with Christ. It was the only difference was the fact there was Christ involved in there. So they called them Christ ones or Christians or they called them a Jesus person. Really, you know what they called them that for? As a mockery. It was to make fun. Oh, look at them. They're little gods. They think they're little Christ. He's the Christian. He's the little Jesus freak. He's just the little Jesus person. But I want to tell you what maybe turned out or what originally was because of making fun has turned out to be the greatest compliment that you and I could ever receive in our lives is to be labeled as a Jesus person or a Jesus freak. But I want you to see something. Are you ready? To get that name. It costs them everything. You don't just get given that name if you're just kind of in and out and up and down. They died for that name, Rob. They died for that name. And in my shame and in what we call Christianity today, I have to ask myself, do I even deserve the title to be called a Christian? Do I deserve that? Am I salt? Am I light? Because that's what God has called us to be. I want us to be so challenged because remember, God doesn't look at the outward. God's all about the heart. We're not saying this to condemn you today because God doesn't condemn. He lifts up. He gives hope and he gives blessing. 
But I'm telling you, I, I pray that some of you have felt kind of bashed around a little bit today and challenged because you need to set some things straight this week in your office. You need to apologize for some people for the behaviors and the ways you've acted. Some of you, even before the office tomorrow, you need to behave, uh, apologize to your families for the way your wife and your children and those around for the fact of I'm labeling something as Christian that's not even close to Christian. Because I want to be the salt and light that God has told me to. You know why this church isn't as big as God wants it to be right now? You answer that question. You answer that question. How many people are you bringing from your work, from your community and your family? How many people want to be involved in church because of your life? Come on, on, God has called us to be salt and light. To be constant. To be everything that he wants us to be. Come on, it's time to be that. I don't ask this lightly today. But I want people to be that. I want to lead a church that knows what it is no matter the cost, that is willing to pay the price, to stand up for God and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to the salvation of those who are lost and those who are dying. Would you stand? We'd like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.